Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving weekend. And thank you for tuning in to the Highway Community Podcast on this first Sunday of Advent. Today, we are continuing our teaching series for the Advent season entitled, No Stranger, The Beauty of God With Us. Advent is the season where we remember and celebrate God, the almighty creator of the universe, entering into the world and dwelling among us through the person of his son, Jesus, as we wait in anticipation for Jesus's return. And this year, As we navigate a very different holiday season, we are exploring together the very deep and very profound empathy that Jesus shares with us as a result of being no stranger to our human experience and all of the peace and the hope that emerge from that. We are now eight and a half months into a season of quarantine and isolation that has completely altered both our world and our lives as we once lived them. And there was definitely initial shock that we all experienced back in March as the restrictions, culminating, of course, with the shelter-in-place order, were rolling out trying to limit the spread of the coronavirus. Seemingly overnight, pretty much everything that we were accustomed to completely changed. And all of a sudden, we were working from home. School was remote. Activities and sports that were a part of our regular routines were canceled. And we were no longer able to meet in person as a church community in the way we were used to. And it was all very arresting. And especially given the deeply rooted culture of busyness in the Bay Area where we are very much always on and always moving and always doing something. It was very arresting to experience so many things stopping. But while we might have imagined at the outset that a season of quarantine might make us less busy, the irony is that in many ways, it has actually made us busier. One reason for that, I think, has to do with the way that boundaries have become blurred as a result of everything in our lives being compacted into the spaces where we live. And so home is no longer just home for most of us. It's also the office. And all the technologies that already were keeping us connected to work have us only feeling even more tethered now. It's challenging to find any real sense of separation when the table that you use for your desk is also the table where you eat dinner and, and where Saturday essentially feels like any other day in the work week. And then in addition to becoming the office, at home has also become the classroom for students as well. And many parents have added full-time teaching to the already existing demands of parenting and work as we adapt to remote learning and all of the different challenges that accompany it. Also busier than ever are parents of young children as they engage their kids at home without so many of the things that have provided breaks and texture 
to the days and weeks. And so there's this sense in which everything now feels more intense. Everything feels more stressful. Everything feels more inescapable or suffocating, as I've come to describe it. But believe it or not, Jesus can actually relate to that. Jesus can relate to that. It's interesting. The Gospel of Mark actually presents Jesus as constantly busy. And we see that right from the beginning. Unlike the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, which start with narratives of Jesus' birth, and unlike John's Gospel, which begins with a theological discourse about the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us, Mark begins his story of Jesus' life by dropping us right into the action of Jesus' public ministry. Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. He endures the temptation in the wilderness, which David talked about on last week's podcast. And then we see Jesus proclaiming the good news of God in Galilee, calling his first disciples, and casting out an impure spirit in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And all of that is just in the first 28 verses of Mark chapter 1. And then, after all of that, verse 29 of Mark 1 says this, As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Now, the word that Mark uses that's translated for us at the beginning of that verse as, as soon as, is a word that he uses 42 different times over the course of his narrative. In other places, it's alternately translated as immediately, or at once, or right away. And it gives the narrative this incredible sense of pace, and as Jesus is just moving from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. And so Jesus immediately goes from the synagogue to Simon, Simon and Andrew's house. And verse 30 says, Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. So we hear in those verses that after Jesus performs his first couple of healings, the word about him began to spread quickly. People began bringing all the sick and the demon-possessed to Jesus. And so much so that Mark says that the whole town gathered at the door of the home of Simon's mother-in-law. And verse 34 says that Jesus healed many, and drove out many demons. And so we have this picture of Jesus here 
being just overwhelmingly busy. And busy, by the way, with things that are good and things that are important. But he is overwhelmingly busy. There is no end to the line of people waiting for him. This is like the ancient world equivalent of in and out opening in Colorado, where this past week there were people waiting in line in their cars for 14 hours to get their double-double animal style. And that's sort of how I imagine this line here of outside of Simon's mother-in-law's home with the whole town waiting for Jesus. But look at what Jesus does next. Mark chapter 1, verse 35 says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And so, right in the midst of all of the busyness, right in the midst of the continuous and persistent and strenuous demands of ministry, we see that Jesus consciously and deliberately withdraws. He consciously and deliberately withdraws. Mark says that he got up early, went to a solitary place, and prayed. And the word that Mark uses that's translated for us as solitary place in verse 35 literally means wilderness place or desolate place or desert place. Now, Capernaum, the town where these events in Mark chapter 1 are taking place, was actually not a wilderness place in terms of geography. Capernaum was not a desert. And so Mark is not talking here about some particular physical location that Jesus went to. Instead, as Mark talks about a wilderness place, a solitary place, he's speaking symbolically. He's speaking symbolically. Now, if we back up to the beginning of the very first chapter of Mark, we discover that Mark has already used this same word two other times. It's used in verse 3 when he quotes from Isaiah's prophecy about John the Baptist, right? The, the voice of one calling out into the desert, right? That word that's translated desert there is the same one as solitary place. And then it's used again in verse 12 to describe the place where the Spirit sent Jesus to be tempted by Satan, that the Spirit sent Jesus out into the desert. And so, by the time we come to verse 35 here, this term wilderness is already richly symbolic in this story that Mark is beginning to tell. Not only does it evoke land that is barren and desolate and inhospitable, but it also evokes divine communication and solitude, and temptation, and encounters with the supernatural. And I think that Mark wants us to have all of that in mind here as Jesus withdraws to the wilderness. 
Jesus is deliberately withdrawing from the crowds and the chaos of Galilee. He's deliberately withdrawing from the clamoring for his gift of healing, deliberately withdrawing from the busyness. And not only does the wilderness represent the opposite of all of that, but there's also a sense, I think, in which Mark, by by using this term that so vividly evokes Jesus's temptation, wants us to also see all of the busyness of Galilee as another kind of temptation as well. And Jesus steps away from that. He steps away to be alone and to connect with his Father in the midst of all of the busyness. And we get a sense for just how different and countercultural and counterintuitive what Jesus is doing here actually is through what happens next. Mark chapter 1, verse 36 says, Simon and his companions went to look for him. So the disciples went out to look for Jesus. Now, the verb that the NIV translates in this verse as to look for is actually quite a bit stronger than that in the original language. More literally, it means that they pursued him or they hunted him down. And so Mark is is communicating a sense of urgency here amongst the disciples as they're looking for Jesus. Simon and his companions hunted Jesus down. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. And so Jesus' disciples come looking for him. And when they find him, we, we, can, we can almost feel how abrasive their interruption is. And it's palpable as we, as we read this text. Everyone is looking for you. And the contrast there between the disciples and the flurry of busyness that they represent hurriedly looking for Jesus, the contrast between that and the space that Jesus has retreated to here to connect with his Father couldn't be sharper. And it not only highlights just how difficult it is to escape the busyness, it also highlights just how strong and pervasive and intrusive the voices of culture can be. How strong and pervasive and intrusive the voice is that says that rest, that says that stepping away is unproductive. And how strong and pervasive and intrusive the voice is that says, you should really be doing something right now. How strong and pervasive and intrusive the voice is that says, you don't have time to slow down because you are what you do. You are what you produce. And I love the way that Jesus responds to this interruption by the disciples. Verse 38 says, Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. 
And so he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. And so, despite all of the things that are waiting for him in Capernaum, despite all of the stuff that there is for Jesus to do, all of the good stuff that there is for him to do, and all the success and the renown that that goes along with it, Jesus opts to go somewhere else. And so his time with the Father very importantly served to reset him and to bring clarity and focus and perspective. And through all of that, Jesus models for us the importance of connecting with God in the very midst of the busyness. Jesus models for us the importance of connecting with God in the very midst of the busyness. Now, while finding space to connect with God is never an easy thing to do, I know for many, myself included, it's become even more challenging during this season where it can be hard to find a place to go and sit in God's presence. And so this morning, on this first Sunday of Advent, I want to share a very simple prayer practice that will hopefully help you make space throughout your day, wherever you are, to connect with God in both a meaningful and personal way. And that is the practice of breath prayer. Breath prayer is an ancient Christian prayer practice dating back to at least the 6th century. And it's a way for us, as followers of Jesus, to try to live into Paul's command in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 to pray continually. A breath prayer is simply a very short prayer just six to eight syllables that keeps us attentive to God in a way that leads to a greater sense of God's presence in our lives and a greater sense of the places where he is leading us. And ultimately, the idea is that over time, just like breathing goes on naturally within our bodies, our personal breath prayer similarly plays in our minds and sings in our heart, even when we're not focusing on it. Breath prayer is a great way not only to cultivate an attitude of prayer, but also an awareness of God's constant presence with us, an awareness of God with us. Now, one of the really wonderful aspects of breath prayer is that it's personal. And so this morning... I want to create some space for you to actually discover your own personal one-sentence breath prayer to pray throughout this Advent season. And so I want to invite you now just to find a comfortable position where you are. Close your eyes and take a moment just to become still and aware of the Spirit's presence.
take a moment right now just to retreat right where you are. as you sit in the silence, take a couple of deep breaths in and slowly release them. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus was walking through Jericho when a blind man named Bartimaeus began to shout at him. And after stopping and calling for Bartimaeus to come to him, Jesus asked, what do you want? And Bartimaeus said, Rabbi, I want to see. Jesus' question drew from Bartimaeus his deepest yearning. And as you sit in this small space of silence this morning, I want you to imagine Jesus calling you by name and asking you that same question. What do you want? What is your deepest yearning today? Answer with whatever comes directly from your heart. It might be a word like peace or love or mercy or freedom. It might be a sentence like I want to feel your forgiveness or I want to know your love. What emerges from your heart when you hear Jesus ask the question, what do you want? Next, I want you to choose your favorite name for God. It might be God, Jesus, Creator, Light, Lord, Spirit, Shepherd. But choose your favorite name for God. Now combine your name for God with your answer to the question, what do you want, to formulate a short, simple sentence prayer. And as you formulate your prayer, experiment a little with moving the name around so that your prayer has a good 
cadence for you. And now that you have your personal breath prayer, I want to encourage you to write it down to help you remember it. And then from there, it is yours to use throughout the day in the midst of all of the ordinary activities of life and even more importantly, in the midst of all of the busyness of life. And so when you feel yourself losing patience or you feel the urge to make an unkind remark, silently say your breath prayer. Or when you feel yourself getting angry, say your breath prayer. Say your breath prayer while you're waiting in line at the grocery store or while you're waiting at a stoplight. Pray it while connecting with someone who you love. When you're driving, turn off the music or the podcast and say your breath prayer. The opportunities are limitless. Now, to help remind you to pray your breath prayer throughout the day, as part of the Advent resources that we distributed this week, there's a strip of star stickers inside the brown envelope that's in your gift bag. And those star stickers are meant for you to put in different places as a visual cue to remind you to pray your breath prayer. Those star stickers are for you to put in places where you will find yourself looking often so that you can say your breath prayer and be reminded to do that. So you might put one on your bathroom mirror or on the refrigerator or on your phone or tablet or computer screen. You might put it on the inside of your front door or on your steering wheel or on your wallet maybe on the forehead of one of your kids, right? wherever you are looking regularly as you move throughout the day. And so I hope that you will take those stickers and put them to use and that they will be a physical reminder for you throughout the day in the places that you're used to looking to say your breath prayer and to connect with God through that means. And my prayer is that as we step into this practice, as we pray our breath prayer as much as possible in all different times and, and in all different places, that it becomes an enriching and vital part of feeling connected to the reality of God with us this Advent season. And by the way, if you didn't have a chance to pick up your Advent resources on Saturday, November 28th, or you're just hearing about these things that we are distributing during this season as a way to try to walk through this season together as a community from all the different places where we are, we would love to get those resources to you. Please send me an email at john at highway.org. 
and we'll get you sorted. May we engage with God and his presence with us as we journey through Advent this year. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful for your gift of sending your Son to dwell among us. And Lord, I am constantly overwhelmed and humbled by the stories of Scripture that so intimately highlight the extent to which Jesus is no stranger with our human experience. Right down to the experience of busyness. And Father, I thank you for the way that Jesus deliberately and intentionally withdrew to connect with you in the midst of the busyness. And Father, for the way that he models what it looks like to be strengthened and reset by your presence. Father, would you help us in the midst of the busyness that feels so acute during this season? And would you help us in the midst of the chaos of all of the things that we're experiencing in the world right now to be aware of your presence in a meaningful way. And to lay our hearts before you each day, frequently. Lord, that our prayers may become as easy and natural as breathing in and breathing out. God, that you would build and deepen our awareness of your presence. That you would build and deepen our awareness during this season that you are indeed with us. And would you give us strength as we engage with you? And would you give us hope and would you give us your peace? We love you, Father, and we thank you. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.